us turn from that hymn, uh, perhaps as David shared, a text unfamiliar to many of us, to a text from God's Word that uh, is quite familiar to many of us, at least in story, perhaps uh, in text itself, and that's Exodus chapter 12. Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to Exodus chapter 12. And if uh, you're visiting with us, we've been journeying through Exodus. Uh, this has been our uh, is our typical pattern here at Meadowbrook is to uh, study through extended portions of God's Word, inviting God to speak to us and uh, hearing from Him. We want to hear from Him. We gather in His name and His honor. We gather to, to hear uh, from Him. Today we come to Exodus chapter 12, and this is uh, the story, instructions of the Passover. And you can find this text on page 53 uh, of a Pew Bible. But let me encourage you, as always, to to look on and to listen carefully to God's Word and I know you just sat down. You hate when I do this, but let me invite you, uh, as is our practice here, whether in body or in spirit, to join me standing for the reading of God's holy word. And I promise I'll let you sit for a little while. Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year old males without defect, and you must Take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw. Or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And now skip down with me to verses 24 through 28. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, it is our desire to be obedient to you. It is our desire to worship you, to submit to you and to serve you. 
And so, Father, we pray that you would instruct us now by the presence and power and guidance of your spirit through the reading and preaching of your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here's the story. Uh, The Israelites are still slaves in Egypt. Uh, We've looked at the plagues over the last couple weeks, and nine plagues have been carried out upon Egypt, displaying God's power and calling for Pharaoh's submission. Let my people go, God has said again and again and again. Yet Pharaoh continues to buckle down. He continues to harden his heart in pride and in unbelief. And so today we come to the tenth and final plague. This is the most personal plague, death of every firstborn in the land. And Moses has told Pharaoh, it's coming. Get ready. Let us go. But you know, this time it's a bit different from the other plagues. This time there's also a message for Israel. There's a message for God's people. Preparations are to be made for if not, the plague will also fall upon Israel. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Commemorate it. Celebrate it. God is telling Israel to mark her calendar by this event that would become an annual holiday for remembrance and celebration. Now, we know that holidays help us remember Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Memorial Day. Independence Day, Labor Day, Veterans Day, uh, these annual marks upon calendars across America remind us of significant people and events in our nation's history, and for without reminders, we are prone to forget. Well, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, which begins the day after Passover, was to help God's people remember who He is and what He had done for them. And when your children ask you, verse 26... What does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. The Bible often calls us to remember. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 14, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Psalm 105, verse 5, remember the wonders God has done. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Communion, or the Lord's Supper, which we observe regularly as a family, as a church family, helps us remember what God has done for us. In fact, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Both Passover and communion teach us, and I'm borrowing from Philip Ryken here, teach us that in salvation, God gives what God demands. Church, in salvation, God gives what God demands. What does God demand? He demands righteousness. The righteous life is the guiltless life. It's the sinless life. It's the life that's lived in accordance with God's moral standard. God demands This from us. He demands righteousness. Righteousness. Meaning, he must judge the unrighteous. Friend, are you guilty? Or are you righteous before God? God demands righteousness. Because he's a perfect and just judge. He is the only perfect and 
just judge. Wrongs must be accounted for. And according to the word of God, any wrong against God deserves death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. When my kids disobey me, they deserve a consequence uh, because I'm their father. But when they disobey me, they do not deserve death far from it. Why? Because I'm a sinner too. But according to the word of God, when we sin against God, we deserve death for sinning against God. Why? Because he holds the supreme position in all of history. He is the eternal one, the holy one, the righteous one, the one that we owe our very existence to. And he is perfect and holy in every single way. And Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. I don't know how this whole plague series that we've been reading strikes you, but there's a sense, I think, in which the more we read the plagues, the more you begin to believe that Pharaoh deserves God's judgment. He's been warned. He is warned. He resists the Lord again and again and again, failing to submit to the true king. And the Egyptians, by and large, go down that same path. But the Passover, our text for today, teaches us that it isn't just Egypt that deserves God's judgment. It is Israel also. Friends, both Egypt and Israel are guilty of sinning against God. I think the text makes clear, the narrative makes clear as we look at this through a broader lens that God does not look with favor upon Israel because Israel has been sinless or guiltless or because they fully trusted him. Backing up, remember that God has instructed Moses and Aaron, he's instructed them to go and to confront Pharaoh the king and to tell Pharaoh to let the Lord's people go so that they can worship him. And so they go and they do just that. And what does Pharaoh do? He buckles down. He makes things more difficult on the slaves. He increases their quota of bricks. And the Israelite overseers notice this and they get upset. Exodus chapter 5 verse 20. We read when the Israelite overseers left Pharaoh. They go to Pharaoh and they confront him. They say, why are you doing this? We, we cannot fulfill this quota that you set upon us. They go and they, they leave Pharaoh and they find Moses. And they, they say to them, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. In other words, they say, we hate you for coming and provoking Pharaoh. Things weren't good, but they were better than they are now. We would rather stay here as slaves than follow you out of here. Even if you say your God has said so, if it means greater hardship from the king. When opposition increased, they didn't trust the Lord. Joshua would later Tell the next generation of Israelites, recorded in Joshua 24, verse 14, he would say, throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. In other words, some of your ancestors worshipped these idols in the land of Egypt. Many Israelite slaves worshipped idols rather than worshipping God alone. You see, like Pharaoh, these descendants of Abraham were also sinners deserving death. But it wasn't just Egypt and it wasn't just Israel that deserved death. It wasn't just them that sinned against the Most High God. It was all, it is all, all of us. God created the first people. He put them in the Garden of Eden. He created man in his image and he told him, Genesis 2, 17, he said, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. One command, 
One prohibition. One boundary. Do not cross this line or you will die. And before we're too quick to throw the stone at them, how many times have we crossed a boundary? How many times have we crossed a line? Perhaps the only rule before us. As kids, how many of you ate the candy or the cookie out of the cookie jar when you weren't supposed to? Uh, men who hunt. How many times have you seen a property boundary? And said, I'd like to see what it looks like over there. How many times have you thrown a lure into a, a, a lake or a pond that wasn't yours? Now, I don't know what, I don't know how women cross the line, but some, somehow you, you've crossed the line too. <laughs> and so did Adam and Eve. The man and the woman, they succumbed to temptation and they crossed it. They sinned. And since then, Paul says, all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. We have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Are you guilty before God? Left to myself. I I am guilty before God. A, A sinner deserving of death. Because the wages of sin is death. And where there is sin there must be judgment. And God says that judgment is death. This is not good news. But if we don't believe this, then we don't believe the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? The Bible is clear on this. Any offense against the author of life is a big deal because he is a big deal. The wages of sin is death. But there is good news. And the good news is that God has provided a substitute for sinners deserving death. God has provided a substitute for sinners. That's what's going on here in Exodus chapter 12. That's what the Passover is all about. God says to Moses and Aaron, tell the Israelites, this month is to be the first month for you. On the 10th day of this month, select a a, a lamb, a a male, a one-year-old male lamb without defect. Bring it in, care for it, take care of it for a few days. And then on the 14th day of the month, you must slaughter this lamb. It is to give its life in your place. You see, from beginning to end, the story of God's word, sin requires sacrifice. Remember what happened back in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. What did the Lord do after confronting them for the rebellion? Genesis 3, 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And clothe them. Life was taken. As a result of human sin. From the beginning sin required sacrifice. And God has provided that substitution. Substitutionary sacrifice for us. God has done this. Remember Genesis chapter 22. God calls Abraham. To sacrifice his son Isaac. Certainly, Abraham doesn't understand this request. It doesn't make sense to him. But he's trusting the Lord. This is. Abraham in faith, trusting the Lord. And he goes and he travels with Isaac and he prepares to slay his son in obedience to God. And an angel intervenes and Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Soon after deliverance, as the story unfolds, after these Israelites are freed from slavery in Egypt, God would... God would give Abraham's offspring instructions regarding perpetual sacrifices that would have to be made as substitutes in place of sinners. 
sacrifices were to burn continuously on the altar outside the tabernacle. But the biggie was on the Day of Atonement. And Leviticus 16 provides instructions for the high priest on this annual observance. The priest shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it what he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. Specific instructions to be carried out, a substitute in the place of sinners. And again and again and again in the history of his people, God provided what God required, a substitute sacrifice to die for his people. God provided substitute after substitute. He provided sacrifice after sacrifice. He provided animal after animal to be slaughtered in place of human sinners. We all know what it's like. To depend on someone else to care for us. Someone else to provide for us what we cannot do on our own. None of us came into uh, this life looking like we do today. We came as newborn babies. Dependent on a caretaker. A parent. To love us and to care for us and to take us in. As babies grow and they begin to eat solid food. We don't simply as parents turn them loose and say go gather some food for yourself. Take care of yourself. Take whatever you want. Eat however you want. We, we, we provide for them again and again and again. We give them what they need. God has given us what we need to be in relationship with Him, to be right with Him. He has given sacrifice after sacrifice in place of human sinners. But not just any sacrifice would do. The Lord says in verse 5 of Exodus 12, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. Verse 7, they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Verse 13, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, the Lord says, I will pass over you. The blood of the lamb would cover their sins. The blood of the lamb covers our sin. The blood on the door frame stood between the righteous judge and guilty sinners. The shed blood was a sign of God's mercy to his people, showing that judgment had already fallen at that house. And the Lord accepted the blood of the lamb, and he would then pass over the sins of that house. And he did so again and again. He did so for a season. He did so for a time, for Passover had to be repeated again and again. As the Israelites multiplied and entered into the promised land, the celebration of Passover became the slaughter of all slaughters. In fact, the Bible says that King Josiah, one of the righteous kings of Israel, slaughtered 37,000 sheep at Passover. Can you imagine the scene? Ancient Jewish historian Josephus says that several hundred thousand lambs were herded through Jerusalem streets every Passover. Can you imagine? Animals everywhere for this annual observance, for purchase to be slaughtered in remembrance, reminders to God's people that the wages of sin is death. But reminders that the Lord has provided a substitute that covers their sins, but only temporarily, never permanently, uh, to be repeated year after year after year because, Hebrews 10, 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Cannot do it. But there is another lamb, not really a lamb, but referred to as the lamb because like these Passover lambs, he is the substitute for sinners. Church, he is the one whose blood covers our sin. 
And when he arrived on the scene, John the Baptist announced, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. John says here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And like the lambs of the Passover, he too was without blemish. No fault was found in this Lamb. Peter says of him, Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Even Pontius Pilate, when asked to crucify Jesus, responded. John chapter 19, verse 6. I find no basis for a charge against him. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, How much more than will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, how much more will He cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Make no mistake about it. The New Testament writers do not want us to miss that this Lamb was pure and faultless and sinless. He was righteous before God, and for this reason, He could satisfy the righteous requirement of the law for us. The pure, unblemished, and sinless blood of Christ covers our sin. He satisfies the righteous requirement for us. For unlike us, He did not earn death. Therefore, He could take death in our place. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But through the shed blood of this lamb, John says there is forgiveness. And the blood of Jesus, God's son, purifies us from all sin. There is restoration between God and sinners. A repaired relationship because God has given us what God demands from us. He has given this to us in Jesus Church, Jesus is the Passover lamb who was sacrificed for our sins. God has given what God demands. But it must be received. It must be received by faith. So by faith, receive God's provision. And by faith, receive God's provision. Verse 28 of Exodus 12, the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. They obeyed. They obeyed because they were trusting the Lord. They demonstrated faith in Yahweh. They prepared to depart, and not only to depart, but to depart quickly with cloaks tucked in and sandals on their feet and a staff in hand. They ate bitter herbs, reminding them of the bitter time in slavery that their ancestors had had in Egypt. They were ready to go, and they departed at the right time. This was no Thanksgiving meal. This was a meal eaten in haste. Be prepared. Respond in obedience. Never eaten a meal in haste? I bet you all have. I guarantee you our, our teachers have. There, there's one meal that's eaten in haste, at least one meal, every single day at the Jones household, and that's breakfast. You know what it's like if you've got kids. You get up in the morning, you're trying to get your kids ready and out the door for school, and you're picking out something for them to eat, and you're encouraging them to eat, at least if they're, maybe it's just my kids. At least when they're my kids' age, you gotta, you got to push them. It's time to go. Come on, eat that. Swallow it. Brush your teeth. One morning this past week, I can't remember, sometime mid-week, I was getting breakfast for the kids, and I asked my, my daughter, my 8-year-old, I said, Kenzie, what do you want for breakfast? You can have cereal. You can have yogurt. You can have a bar. You can, you, you can have toast. 
Uh, and she thought for a minute, she responded, ooh, can I have cinnamon toast? Sure, you can have cinnamon toast. And so she sat down and began to make a couple pieces of cinnamon toast. I got out the butter and melted some butter on it and pulled the sugar and the cinnamon out of the cabinet and uh, began to prepare that toast. And about the time I handed her the plate, she said, Daddy, what's that smell? I don't know. Eat your breakfast. we got to go. So she takes a bite of toast and she responds and says, Daddy, this is not right. Something is not right here. I said, I'm sorry, honey. Eat your breakfast. It's almost time to go. Eat your breakfast. Well, a moment later, Daddy, this is terrible. Okay, fine. Get something else. Fix your own breakfast. Well, a couple minutes later, I began to put things back in the cabinet and go to put the sugar and the cinnamon up. And I realized I'm putting sugar and ground cumin up. (laughs) Cumin toast. I didn't try it. But judging by the look on her face, I don't recommend it. (laughs) So here, God, how do I recover? All right, the Lord, the Lord is instructing his people to obey, to remember his provision and to respond with this meal, this commemorative meal, and to do so in a certain way with haste, to respond and to respond quickly to to obey certainly not to ignore the specifics of his instructions but to eat this meal in haste to remember that god delivered them from slavery in egypt when the lord says believe now's the time to believe when the lord says obey now's the time to obey do not delay by faith receive god's provision he has provided for you and for me in jesus christ you see god presented christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. A gift of the Lord to mend our broken relationship with God. But we have to receive this gift in faith. We have to believe. For it is by grace you have been saved, Paul says. It's a gift of God. It's not something that we can earn. It's not by works. We cannot achieve this on our own. It's by God's grace through faith. To be received in faith. And Jesus told his listeners in John chapter 6 verse 53. He said very truly I tell you. He said unless you eat the flesh of the son of man. And drink his blood. You have no life in you. Jesus is saying you must receive my gift. You must receive the gift of my life. You must turn to me. You must take the bread. You must take the cup. You must remember what I have done for you, he says. Friend, you can be cleansed today. You can be restored today. You can be pardoned of all sin today. Are you guilty before God? By faith, receive God's provision. God stands offering you the righteousness of Jesus. Simply to be received in faith, by faith, receive his provision. Trust in the pure and perfect Savior today. Recognize your sin before God. But recognize the substitutionary sacrifice of his perfect son on the cross for you and for me. And say, yes, Jesus is Savior. He is Lord. I want to follow after him. Receive the gift of his provision today. And then believer. Remember 
Christ's sacrifice. In faith, keep on remembering what he has done. In faith, keep on remembering the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for you and for me. It's no mere coincidence that Jesus gave his life away during the annual celebration of Passover in Jerusalem. Luke tells us in Luke 22, verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And knowing that he was our Passover lamb, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so church, believers, let's prepare to do just that. To remember our Passover lamb who takes away our sins. To remember, to reflect, to celebrate, to anticipate. And as we prepare to do just that, let me invite you to join me in a confessional prayer that's printed on the screens. As we turn to the Lord and ask Him to lead us, as we acknowledge our faith in Him and His provision for us, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Would you read this out loud with me? Lord, as we prepare to receive the bread and the cup, we come as sinners saved by Your grace. We come acknowledging Your holiness, yet our guilt apart from the cleansing blood of Jesus. We come as those who by faith have received your provision for us. We come in faith, remembering Christ's sacrifice. We come remembering Calvary. We come reflecting on the cost of forgiveness. We come celebrating your character and your plans. We come anticipating our Savior's soon return. In the name of the only Lord and perfect sacrifice, we pray. Amen. So churches, our deacons who are serving communion this morning come to the table. Let me invite the rest of you to reflect on what Christ has done for you. To wrestle with his provision, his sacrifice for, with who he is. If you're a believer, if you know Christ, if you have turned from sin and Embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. We invite you as we pass the elements in just a few moments, we invite you to take the bread as it comes your way, to take the cup and to to follow the instructions of our Lord, to remember, to take and eat, remember His body broken for you, to take and drink and remember His blood spilled as a sacrifice for your forgiveness. And if you don't know this, Lord, my, my prayer for you, my request of you today is that you would wrestle with who he is that you would turn and trust in him for salvation that you would cry out to him for forgiveness that you would recognize his lordship and partake of his provision when we participate in communion we are remembering we're looking back and we're reflecting on what christ has done for us we look back and we see that he has defeated sin and death, that He has taken the punishment for us and that He has been triumphantly raised from the dead. We look back and we remember. As a gathered body, as a gathered church, we look around and we see brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in the faith. We see the unity that we have 
as followers of Jesus Christ. And we look up and we see a risen Savior seated on the throne. The high King of heaven reigning on high. And we look ahead and we anticipate this King coming once again for us. And so this morning we do just that. We reflect. We remember. We celebrate. We proclaim. And we anticipate the return of our Lord. Would you bow with me as we give thanks? Father, we are grateful that you have given us what you require of us. Father, we thank you for your Son, our Savior, the Passover Lamb who takes away our sins. And so, Lord, we do come this morning acknowledging that apart from your grace and intervention, Lord, that we are guilty before you, but because of your provision, because of Christ's provision on the cross in our place, Lord, that we are right with you. We are restored to right relationship with you, that we are forgiven by you, that we have a position that we do not deserve. And so, Father, we come with gratitude. We come with celebration. We come in humility, desiring to live for you. Lord, we give you thanks. Guide us as we pass. Guide us as we take. Lead us to worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.